My name is Tracy Carpenter and I'm a member with Restored Church. If you're new, welcome. We are glad that you tuned in. We believe that the church is a family and not just an event, and so we would love to connect with you. Uh, there are a few ways that you can do that. The first being um, through our website, which is www.restoredtemecula.church, um, and then click on contact. We also have a mobile app that you can get in the Apple or the Android app stores, and through that app you can see past um, messages, upcoming events, and other ways for us to connect. Um, so with all that said, we hope you enjoy the message. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. All right, I'm going to try and make this quick. Uh, we have been journeying through Matthew's gospel for over a year, off and on. Gosh, maybe even over, maybe over two years. Uh, I have to check that. But we've been, we've been in and out of Matthew for a while. And we've been exploring Matthew with, with a purpose. We want to we learn as much as we can about the king and his kingdom. We talk about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Those, those phrases are, are synonymous. It, it speaks of not just a place that you go to after you die, if you're in Christ. It, it speaks of the rule and the reign of a king. That's what a kingdom is, right? And in this case, the rule and the reign of King Jesus. What, is, what does it look like when God gets his way? And frankly, it looks like human flourishing. It looks like thriving. It looks like things the way that God intended for them to be for us to experience that. And we know that that's coming in fullness when Jesus returns. But we can experience the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, even here and now. Again, not in its fullness. Theologians describe this tension as we live in the already but not yet. His, the kingdom of God is breaking in in various ways and yet not fully realized. And there's a tension there. But we want to learn as much as we can about the kingdom of heaven and as much as we can about what the king is like, the king of the kingdom. And so this morning, I'm really excited because Andrea Baum says is going to preach to us. Give her some love. Yes. She's mic'd up. She's ready to rock. But before she comes up here, I just want to share, like, there's a legitimate um, spiritual gift on her life to teach. And... Part of the reason why our church exists is to see men and women, boys and girls, grow in spiritual maturity. It's like, a, it's like our mission, right? Now, hear me, though. That applies to every single one of us. I'm referencing uh, Dre's spiritual gifts, but you have spiritual gifts as well. God desires to, to grow you in those, to develop you in those. And, and, and a big part of why our church exists is to see Every single one of us grow in spiritual maturity. Part of spiritual maturity means how do we operate in our giftings in ways that glorify God and benefit others. So oftentimes you'll see people, they'll utilize their gifts to kind of, to make a name for themselves, to, 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 to grow their platform. If you spend any time on social media, you'll see this just jockeying for influence, and I'm not here to give commentary on that necessarily. What I'm here to say is we want to be a people who fan into flame the things that God has deposited in each one of us, that we might step into those things more and more, grow in them, develop in them, operate in them, not to like, make a, not to like gain a platform for ourselves, but to bless the earth and to see more of God's rule and reign all around us the kingdom of heaven, right? So that's one of the reasons why I'm so excited for you guys to hear from Andrew this morning. Now, before I invite her up, I just want to mention one more thing. 
This lady has like served our church pretty significantly this week. Um, like a massive investment of time and energy. She served the ladies for the ladies social. What was it Friday night? I know you guys had a blast. That was wonderful. And now she's going to preach. So I say that to just honor her because of the ways that she is giving of her time. She's got a husband. She's got children. She's got responsibilities. And yet she's sacrificing her time and energy to sow seeds into our community that God might you like water and grow to see more fruit of his kingdom at play. And so... As I invite her up, would you just honor her and bless her with a round of applause? Andrea, come up. Awesome. I'm just going to pray for you quickly. We're, I think we'll be all right. I'm going to pray for you quickly, and then let's roll. Uh, Father, we just want to say thank you for the ways that you care for us and love us, for the ways that you pour out gifts for us to deliver to the world around us, for your love to go public through our lives. I pray that that would happen right now through Andrea. I pray that you'd give each one of us um, ears to hear you, eyes to see you more clearly through your word. Show us and teach us more about the king and his kingdom, please, Father. We need you, we love you. We posture our hearts to receive from you in humility. Thank you for being so kind and gracious to us. We love you, Jesus, and we pray together. Amen. Amen. All right, take it away. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, is it on? Did I do it right? Okay, and I should have gotten into this before, but I didn't. Um, Good morning. I would love to spend time telling you about myself, but I feel like that's a waste of time. So (laughs) I think I'm going to just jump in. But I am Andrea. I have a wonderful husband, Kylo. He was playing drums this morning. I have three wonderful kids that bring me so much joy most of the time. And no, they do all the time. (laughs) And it feels like a genuine gift to be able to be with you this morning and to share God's word with you because that is my absolute favorite. So we're going to go ahead and jump right in. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 1. I'm going to go ahead and just read the entire passage. So he got into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Just then, some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a stretcher, Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Have courage, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the scribes said to themselves, He's blaspheming. Perceiving their thoughts, Jesus said, Why are you thinking evil things in your hearts? For which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, Then he told the paralytic, get up, take your stretcher, and go home. So he got up and went home. When the crowds saw this, they were awestruck and gave glory to God, who had given such authority to men. All right, I'm going to pray really quick. Father, I thank you for these inspired words. I thank you that they came from you. I thank you that we get to see your heart um, for broken people. I thank you that we get to see your heart for redemption and mending and healing. And I ask, Lord, that you would um, break the veil 
across our eyes, Father, that we would see you clearly this morning. Um, and that in the scene, that we would receive who you actually are, that it would take root, Lord. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so when I had started putting this together, Kylo asked me, how is it coming along? And I'm like, it's great. I feel like I have a lot of content, but I don't necessarily have like that anchor. Like I need that anchor that is kind of like pulling me back, that thematic thing. And jokingly, he had no idea what I was teaching on. Jokingly, he, he said that Michael Scott quote, when Michael Scott's looking at Toby and he says, who do you think you are and what gives you the right? And I was like, that's it. And he's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, that's my anchor. <laughs> that is what is happening in this passage. Christ comes on the scene and the Pharisees walk away. Instead of seeing him as the Messiah, they walk away with this idea of like, who do you think you are and what gives you the right? We are talking about authority this morning. Yay! Okay, so what is authority? Authority is power. It's to be given the right. Okay? In verse 6, when it said, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority, it's inferencing the power of authority that is influence and that is right. He's been given the right to exercise this authority. Then in verse 8, when it talks about um, the crowds were awestruck and gave glory to God who had given such authority to men, that's inferring the ability or strength that one is actually exuding, okay? It's being possessed. It's being used. So power and right that has influence, that is exercised. So what is the importance of authority? Why is authority needed and what is the benefit? Because I think a lot of us, to us it might be, um, I don't like saying dirty word, but a word that we're kind of like, ugh. I mean, when it's good, it's good. When it's bad, it's bad. Okay, so why do we need it? Um, one, we're awful rulers. If you look anywhere in history, every single empire has fallen. That gives you a glimpse into the future. Okay. But also, we need authority. We draw on it or we seek someone else's power when we lack it ourselves, right? So in the best case scenario, it cultivates safety, it protects, uh, it provides order, and its desire, again, in its best case scenario, is to implement goodness. But ultimately, it seeks to bring into being that which is lacking, okay? So I'm in trouble, and there's something that I can't do for myself. Let's say I'm in danger, right? I call 911. Why? Because this is a situation that I can't take care of on my own. I need somebody else's power. I need somebody else's authority, right? Up to this point in the book of Matthew, we have seen the miracle of Jesus' birth. He was conceived in a virgin, okay? 
That's a, that alone, I'd be like, okay, worth listening to. Um, we see his authority as a teacher. We see his authority as a healer. He is healed up to this point. But at this time in the story, across all four Gospels, it's actually the first time that we hear Jesus say the words, your sins are forgiven. First time. The implications of this statement are massive because that means he is now exercising spiritual authority so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Okay, so if authority seeks to bring into being that which lacks, then the question has to be asked, where is the lack in this story? Why was his authority needed? Okay, so let's dive in. Um, This is the same story that we hear in Mark and in Luke. This is the story of the man that was lowered down through the roof. So I'm actually going to read from Mark chapter 2, verse 3 through 4. Just It gives us a little bit more detail. Okay, so they came to him bringing a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, because the house was so inundated with people, they literally couldn't get through the door. They removed the roof. They had to climb up a roof with a stretcher. They removed it. They dug through the roof after climbing up it with a stretcher. Then they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was lying. I want you to, you don't have to close your eyes, but I really want you to listen to this quote from Spurgeon. This is how he described it. We do not read that they had said anything. Therefore, they had not expressed their faith, with words at least. Yet this bold and adventurous action in breaking up the roof and letting all the dust fall upon the Savior's head, not fearing that they would provoke him, but trusting in his gentleness and patience, showed their confidence that they had only to get the man where Jesus could see him and good would come of it. My first point, Jesus' authority revives our faith. As Spurgeon pointed out, there were no words exchanged. Jesus only observed their behavior. And furthermore, he observed their faith. It's collective. This is the only time in all four Gospels where Jesus intentionally calls out a collective faith. In every other part of the Gospels, he refers to the individual's faith, like, your faith has saved you. But here he says, I see their faith. It makes me wonder, did the paralytic have faith? I think that's a valid question. Did he have faith? Um, Will you throw up that artwork, please? So as I was thinking through this passage, I was trying to imagine what this man could have possibly been feeling, because we're not told anything about him. 
We're just told that he was a paralytic. That is it. So I started picturing, like, what could have his life looked like? What could he have been feeling? And I went and found this piece of artwork. I wish, <laughs> I almost went up here and like did this, like let's make it bigger. <laughs> oh, that's stupid. Um, so you look at his face, like I loved this piece of artwork because you can see, look at his friends up on the roof, like legs dangling down. Him being brought down, carried by strangers, right? They had to have caught him. And look at the way that he's looking at Jesus. I see desperation. Um, I read the words this week, hope is dangerous. And I'm like, yep. I could see that. Like, it's too dangerous to hope. Um, Maybe there's this sense of like something is wrong with me and I can't fix it. Maybe he's given up, maybe shame. And then you see his friends who are like, our friend has a need that no one can fix. We have to get him to Jesus. Like what if this is the only opportunity he has Get him to Jesus. Desperation can lead us in many different directions. But it is an act of grace and it is a gift of mercy when we actually let it lead us to the feet of Jesus. This was a collective faith, a community of faith, a community that carried him literally, quite literally, into the presence of Jesus. And sometimes it takes someone else's faith to help move us and get us in front of Jesus. That is the gift of community. I am the biggest introvert of all introverts. I actually sat for way too long yesterday looking at introvert memes. I don't even know how that happened, but it happened and I was like, yep, that's true. Yep, 100% true. So I... Sometimes it is an act of obedience to like put myself in vulnerable positions with people. But I need people. Why? Because I will not always have the faith that I need to continue trusting in Jesus. I will not always have the faith to believe the truth instead of lies. I need people. The faith of your community matters. Your faith impacts your community. Like your faith, the faith that you bring to your community impacts your community and vice versa. It matters. So how does Jesus's power meet us in our lack of faith? He reminds us that there is something or someone that we can actually put our trust in. Like there is something that is firm and solid and not going anywhere. Steadfast, enduring, faithful, loyal, 
a rock that we can confidently say, I trust you. Jesus' authority revives our faith because it's power that we can confidently trust in. Um, My sister-in-law, a couple weeks ago, put something up that said, does the process know we are trusting it? And I don't, that made me laugh for hours. <laughs> Every time I thought about it, I'm like, right? <laughs> like, I use that phrase though all the time with my kids, like trust the process. And just, it just flies out. I don't even think about it. But when it was kind of reversed, like does the process know we are trusting it? I was like, yeah, the process is an inanimate object. What the heck? Like, no, (laughs) it just like reframed it for me. So this idea of we have something that is like real and solid that we can actually put our faith in, a person. In verse two, seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, have courage, son, your sins are forgiven. That have courage, be comforted, little boy is actually what that son means. So why does Jesus speak these words first, right? No words have been exchanged. It's pretty obvious that this man was a paralytic. Like, Jesus knew why he was being lowered. So why these words first? So cultural context. In our Western culture and in the broader secular worldview, we embrace a dualistic approach to reality. That means that we separate mind and body. Like they're completely separate and we often pit them against each other. What does that mean? We think that we can transcend the limitations of being human, okay? Whereas Judaism, Christianity, and most civilizations before 1500 AD held and do still hold that the body and soul together are one. We are an embodied soul. John Hopkins Medicine, I went and I'm like, yeah, let's get some scientific evidence for this. If this were the case, if this were true, we are embodied souls. That means that emotions and things that aren't physical, that aren't anatomical or mechanical, right? they would be able to have an effect on our physical body. So this is what it said. Studies have found that the act of forgiveness can reap huge rewards for your health, lowering the risk of heart attack, improving cholesterol levels in sleep, reducing pain, blood pressure, and levels of anxiety, depression, and stress. And research points to an increase in the forgiveness health connection as you age. That should not make a difference if we were not an embodied soul. So, with that in mind, it would not seem outlandish to question if there were physical consequences to disobedience or sin. Okay? This is the culture he is living in. John 9, we hear that the people came to Jesus and they said, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? Why did they think that? Because we're an embodied soul. So it's very plausible that this man had come to the conclusion that he was paralyzed because he had done something wrong 
or that God was angry with him, or that he was being punished. So why did Jesus speak the words, son, you are forgiven first? Because this is the word that he needed to hear first. He needed to hear, you are forgiven. Josh White, in his book, Stumbling Toward Eternity, says, the forgiveness of Jesus is not mere pardon. It is his acceptance of us as his beloved. So this doesn't, he's not just saying like, you're forgiven, like he's saying like, you are loved. Which brings me to my second point, Jesus's authority transforms our identity. Paul Tripp says, the word of God never just defines who God is, it redefines who we are as his children. So do you see what happens here? Without saying a word, the man didn't even say, I'm sorry. God just unleashes grace upon him before he can even ask for it. Like, you are forgiven, my son, like, You belong to me. You are a child of God. It's my righteousness now. But he doesn't stop there. He tells them, get up, take your stretcher, and go home. Makoto Fujimera says, redemption is more than fixing. It is a feast of healing and transformation. A feast. I'm going to reference this verse later on, but in Corinthians, when it talks about you have been made into a new creature, that new means new newness, perpetually new. Like it doesn't stop. Makoto Fujimura, who I just quoted, um, in his book, Art and Faith, which is beautiful, Super heady, it takes me a very long time to get through, but it's beautiful. He talks about kintsugi, which is the ancient Japanese art form of repairing broken teaware with Japanese lacquer and then covering that with gold, making the broken pottery even more beautiful than the original. And I wanted to show you this video about it because I think it's, it does more than words can. Did you catch what it said? The restoration isn't just to disguise. It's not to disguise. Makoto goes on to say, it occurred to me that God beheld me, a broken vessel, just as the Kintsugi master holds tenderly the fragments that he collects. God's collection holds all of my joys, all my loss, all my pain. And I realize that I too can be beheld, not as I will be, 
but as I am at this very moment. Son, your sins are forgiven. That is like Christ taking this man. He is holding him and saying like, I see you right where you are at. You don't have to say words. You are forgiven. Who do you think you are and what gives you the right? That's not just a question for Jesus. That's a question for me. Who do I think that I am? Most of the time, not what I'm about to tell you. And what gives me the right? I am a child of God. I am a child of God. You are a child of God. Do we realize the implications that come with that? Jesus' authority heals our identity. In verse 3, going back to Matthew 9. At this, some of the scribes said to themselves, He's blaspheming. Perceiving their thoughts, Jesus said, Why are you thinking evil things in your heart? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he told the paralytic, get up, take your stretcher, and go home. So he got up and went home. I love that. He's just like, yeah, peace. I'm going. (laughs) To be honest, this part gets me every single time, because I can see myself in every single person. I can see myself as the paralytic of like, God, I have nothing. Like, I have nothing. I'm out. And then just being lavished upon with grace. I can see myself as the Pharisees. There was a book that I read a while back called, um, man, what's it called? The Man Who Met God in a Bar. I know. It's a novel. But the whole premise was, if Jesus were to come right now in our time. And so the man in the bar was supposed to be Peter. And he was in the bar because he was waiting for a flight to go see his mistress, this person that he was having an affair with. And he meets this man who was supposed to be Jesus. And inside, as I'm reading the book, I'm like, this is wrong. (laughs) No, like, this is blasphemy. I can be this person. Again, cultural context. How did the Israelites know and experience forgiveness up until this point? Okay, we're told in Leviticus 4 and 5 that it was a very public ceremonial uh, thing that had to happen. If you sinned, it wasn't just like a I'm just going to confess this in my room where nobody can hear me. Jesus, thank you for your forgiveness. No, it was a, I need to go buy an animal or I have to find the best animal that I have that meets all of the qualifications, clean, pure. I have to then take that animal on a journey to the temple where I confess to a priest and then I myself have to kill the animal So that his blood is now paying for my sin. The priest takes the blood, puts it on the altar, and then the priest says, you are forgiven. That is the context of asking for forgiveness at this point. 
And Jesus comes on the scene without a confession, without a sacrifice being made. He pronounces over the paralytic what the priest would announce after a confession and sacrifice was made. So Jesus was offering God's forgiveness as if it was his to offer. Put yourself in that place. That would have been like, what? Is he for real? Who do you think you are and what gives you the right? The accusation that the Pharisees made was this is blasphemous. And Jesus comes right back at them. They didn't even say it, right? He read their mind. (laughs) If somebody read your mind, wouldn't you be like, what? (laughs) But even that didn't get them. (laughs) They saw the man not only get healed, their minds were read. And they still, like the pride, I just, it's in me. It's in me. So Jesus says, the verdict, this is evil. What was the evil? Unbelief. In the gospel-centered community, the blue book, if you all know it, it says unbelief is a failure to see and believe what's true about God, the world, and ourselves. So why would unbelief be considered evil? Because evil is that which robs us of God and his kingdom. It robs us. They were so blinded by their own ideas of what should and shouldn't be that they were unable to recognize the Messiah in their presence. Uh, A couple weeks ago, I was in my backyard and I have, I way over planted tomatoes this year because they did not do well last year. So I'm like, I'll take care of that. I have, I got way too much tomatoes this year. Anyways, 16 plants shoved in a corner with cucumbers and pumpkins and all that jazz. When it gets really hot, like any good mother would do, I go out and I cover them with an umbrella, right? I have to shade them. So I went out there and I'm looking and I'm like, the wind, it blew my umbrella a different direction. This is so stupid. It was off. In order to fix it, it would require me to go get my shoes on because, again, it's a jungle back there. I would have to, like, climb my way through all of my other beds and dirt and all that stuff, and I'm like, I'm not doing it. I don't care. They can burn today. (laughs) So I start walking away, and, like, this idea dawned on me, like, hello, just grab the corner of the umbrella and turn it (laughs) from right where you're at. Like, you don't have to go and move the pole. (laughs) And I was like, oh, and I did it. And I'm walking back in the house and it dawned on me like, wow, where do ideas come from? Like, <laughs> like that came from nowhere. That was not of my genius, <laughs> like, obviously. Like, the, the, just like the miracle of an idea, it made me stop and give gratitude. Like, wow, like, you give ideas. Seen, but not knowing my kids. I'm around my kids all the time, right? 
Um, just this year, two of them are out of the house for school three days a week. But up until this year, I have homeschooled them the entire time. So we literally have spent every single day together for a very long time. Though that they are in my presence, that doesn't necessarily, like I'm seeing them, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I know them. Like if I'm not actually paying attention to them, like as a person and seeing the ways that they're growing and looking for the ways that they're struggling and seeing the gifts that are emerging, like I can miss all that. I can see them without knowing them. This is the idea of untrained eyes. The Pharisees knew all the scripture, right? The Old Testament speaks of the coming of Christ over and over and over again. And these are scriptures that they had to know. They knew like the back of their hand. I don't even know the back of my hand though, do you? I don't. But you know what I mean? Like they knew it, but they didn't perceive Jesus. They had untrained eyes. And untrained eyes lead to missing the Messiah. To use a phrase of Dane Ortland, they are viewing his expressions of his mercy with old eyes. Richard Rohr says that we cannot attain the presence of God. Cannot attain it. We're already totally in the presence of God. What's absent is awareness. I was thinking about this this morning. I got up, I don't know what time I got up, but I didn't get out of bed. So I was laying there and I was thinking and I started praying for the morning. And as I was praying, my mind drifted (laughs) to sourdough. (laughs) Because I'm teaching a sourdough class at the farm on Friday. And so I was like, okay, should I make the chocolate chip cookies again or should I try to make the rye brownies with the tahini buttercream sauce? Right? And I'm thinking, and I'm like, but I've never made that recipe. Is it a safe bet to try that recipe on like a totally new group of people? And then I came back and I'm like, oh, that, I can do that. That cookbook's awesome. Everything I've made from that cookbook has worked. Like, it's been magic. And then the spirit was like, yeah, like the word of God. Like, I can trust the word of God because it has proven itself over and over and over and over again. And I give you that example. Um, there's, a, there's a thing called pathways of association. So our brains are made to follow paths where we find connections, right? Sometimes it can get us into a lot of trouble. Sometimes it's wonderful, like this morning. Because it brought me back, even though I started praying for our morning, and it took me on this whole little trail of thoughts, and I'm not even telling you all of it. It is a jungle up here. (laughs) But it still brought me back to, like, Jesus and being able to see him and what he's doing and where he's at. And I landed on this thought Again, I was like, man, that's such a gift. And I'm like, but if there's a gift, that means there's a giver. How can there be a gift without a giver? Like, do you see how this awareness 
of who he is and where he is and what he's doing that's going to bolster our faith. How are ways that we can train our eyes? I have three for you. Meditating on the word of God, not just reading it. I'm a big fan of the one-year Bible. I love that because it gives you like big picture, big story. But I also love taking it very slow. Like, I've been in Luke for a month and a half, and I don't read every day. Don't think that I'm something I'm not. This meditating on the word of God, like what is he doing? Who is he? Reflecting on your day. So at the end of the day, actually taking time to reflect and ask the spirit, help me to discern your presence in my day today. Where were you? What were you doing? Oftentimes it's said that we see God in the rearview mirror, right? So we like see him in the ways that he um, interacted, responded after time has gone by, right? This happens a lot when we give stories. When we prepare our stories um, for our Lord's Supper gatherings and we're telling our stories, a lot of times there's those moments, those profound moments of like, Oh, he protected me from that. Or that, I had never thought of that, like his intervention in that scenario in my life. Like, we see him in the rear view. That's a lot easier for us. It's much harder for us to recognize him in our right now moments. So we have to train our eyes. Another way is gratitude. Just gratitude. Like, getting in the habit My counselor had me do this, and it was so simple and so awesome. She had me write down five things every single night that I was thankful for. And do you know what that did? It made me actually start looking for them in the moments. I no longer viewed my days the same because I knew that the gratitude was coming at the end of the day. So I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to give thanks for this. This was great. (laughs) Like, it opened my eyes. What could be some ways that he's wanting to train your eyes so that you see him, so that you don't miss him? So that you may know, perceive with the eyes that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Third point, Jesus' authority redeems our perception of authority. So I asked our GC their thoughts on authority, and I'm going to read you some of them. Someone who has the last say, which can lead to feeling like there's a lack of control. Authority is often abused, selfish, corrupt, dangerous. There's feelings of cautiousness and fear. Questioning, is this for my good? Is it safe? When you're the one in authority, there's a responsibility. There's criticism, loneliness, it's a burden. So the reality is that our experience of authority is mixture, right? Many of us have been blessed by authority in its rightful place. Many of us have been hurt by authority, and it's painful, and it's messy, and it's broken. Consequently, our view of authority will ultimately bleed into our view of God. Is he safe? Can he be trusted? Is he good? Does he even care? Who do you think you are? 
Um, the song Oceans, I know that it was overplayed and we all got super tired of it, but it is a wonderful song. The part of the lyrics, take me deeper than my feet could ever wander, that my faith would be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. When I see Jesus for who he really is, my faith cannot help but be bolstered. It's strengthened. Because all the lies that I believe about him, I see them for what they are, lies. And when my faith is strengthened and I'm able to receive the gift of grace, I begin to walk in a new way. My identity is healed. And part of that healing is learning to walk in the freedom of no longer ruling myself. I don't have to rule myself. I put on the top of this teaching, give them hope. If nothing else, like walk away giving them hope. What is the hope? When we're able to recognize who the ultimate authority belongs to, and then we're able to put our faith in that authority, we stand in hope. Like that is hope. It's not despair. It's not anxiousness. It's hope. Um, World War II, Everett and I read The Hiding Place last semester. If you have not read it, wowza. Such a good book. Such a great book. Um, but we've kind of been a on a kick of World War II. Because what's the name of that show? A Small Light? A Small Light. National Geographic. So good. As you're reading these accounts of people that were helping Jews to find a hiding place so that they would not be taken away to concentration camps, you're reading these accounts, and so many of them had this ridiculous amount of faith in Jesus. I mean, like, unwavering, if he tells us to do it, we are going to do it. There was a story where soldiers came into this room. They were hiding people underground, under the table, like there was a rug with like a, a hole down in there. And they came in and they said, are you hiding Jews? And the girl said, yes. She said, yes, do you know why? She was so confident in who he said he was. She was so confident and he told me not to lie and I'm not gonna lie, I'm gonna obey him and he'll take care of it. He was, they thought that she was messing around and they didn't even consider her to be like truthful and they were like, you're a waste of our time and they left. That's insane. When we grab a hold of who, he, like the authority that he has, like who cares? Like he will take care of it. That means I don't have to fight for myself. I can rest and I can trust him in my limitations. I can trust him when I'm learning how heavy the cross really is because it is, it's not always gonna be, no, it's never gonna be easy. I'm just gonna say that. There was a quote Kylo, Kylo shared with me the other night. I'm like, I don't wanna hear it. 
but it was really good, so I put it in here. If you're only willing to do the things that give you life, you'll miss out on the opportunities to lay down your life. Right? Who wants to hear that? If you're only willing to do the things that give you life, you'll miss out on the opportunities to lay down your life. It is hard to lay down your life when you don't know who's in authority. I can courageously confront the deeply rooted idols in my life. You know why? Because I'm not in authority. I can stand tall in my belovedness. I am loved. Jesus' authority redeems my perception. Verse 8, when the crowd saw this, they were awestruck and they gave glory to God who had given such authority to men. One last observation because I would be remiss in not sharing this, but they saw him. Like they saw him. Where do you go to see Jesus? Where do you go to see God's power? Where do you go to see who he is and what he is saying? and what he has done. We have something. (laughs) We have it. This, like, the treasures, the treasures in here. Do you guys know how many sourdough books I've read? Like, I brought three on Friday night, because I'm like, surely they will love reading as much as I do. (laughs) I think one person got into the (laughs) book. I have like 10 others at home, just on sourdough alone. That doesn't include my other 50 cookbooks. And those are cookbooks that I went through last summer, and I got rid of like 25 of them. That is how much reading I do on cooking alone. Like, that's a lot of time. That's a lot of effort to become an authority on cooking. If I really believe that Christ is everything, Christ is my all in all, he is in everything, he is before all things, all things are through him, like, but I don't know any of this, what? What? Paraphrasing Tim Mackey, he says, as a Christian, we must come to the scriptures and allow them to redefine everything for us, including our view of God. This is where we go, to see clearly. If we believe that Jesus is the revelation of who God is, then we must let our ideas about God be challenged, corrected, and undermined by these words. So that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He told the paralytic, get up, take your stretcher and go home. You are healed. So he got up and went home. When we yield to Jesus' authority, only good will come from it. Only good will come from it. I honestly wish that I could sit with every single one of you right now now that our time is coming to an end, and just ask you, like, what ways do you desire to trust him more deeply? Because there are, I challenge you, 
I challenge you to ask today, where am I not trusting you? How can I trust you more deeply? And in regards to his authority, what could he be inviting you into this morning? Like maybe surrender, maybe like a yes. Just get me to Jesus. Just get me to Jesus. Only good will come from it. I'm going to pray. Is that okay? Okay. Band, would you like to come up? Thank you. Uh, Father, I just thank you so much. Before I even said I'm sorry, you made a way for me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in you will not perish but have everlasting life. The gift, Father, you giving us your son, you laying down your life, you using your authority to bring dignity and value and purpose, to bring restoration and healing to open the crevices of my heart so that I can experience what deep, deep love actually feels like. Thank you for that gift, Lord. May we never grow callous to it. Father, just continue to deepen the ways in which you want to shower and lavish us with your grace and with your love. We love you. Jesus' name, amen. Oh boy. Why don't you do this? Why don't you stand and stretch for a minute? If you're able, would you stand and just kind of let, yeah. If you're on the ministry team, would you make your way, um, actually not off to the side, come up, come up front if you would, <clears throat> like all the way up here, just so people can see you. There's trusted men and women who are going to make themselves available for prayer, to pray for you. Um, there's four people, four types of people I'm convinced that God's highlighting that he really wants to like meet with you in a very specific way. Um, the first type of person, <clears throat> um, you hear Andrea talk about the authority of Jesus and you hear her reference, like we've all had different experiences with authority. Some of you in this room, you've had, you've had authority figures in your life hurt you. And it's affecting your engagement with Jesus. Of yielding to and actually enjoying the pleasure and safety of his authority. If that's you, Come receive prayer from a trusted man or woman this morning. The next person, you feel like God's been highlighting your faith has been a roller coaster. When I say faith, I mean your confidence and trust in God up and down and up and down. And it, until this morning, it hasn't really bothered you that much until Dre talked about the faith of your community matters. 
and your faith matters to your community. If that's you, if you're recognizing like, oh man, I'm, I'm living this kind of isolated, independent life as a, in regards to faith, God wants to free you from that. He, wants to, he, he doesn't want you to miss out on the integration of faith with a community and the power there. And he wants you to, re, to, to live with the dignity of knowing that your, the condition of your faith, it doesn't just matter to your relationship with him, it matters to your community's relationship with him. The third person this morning, uh, you recognize or you're grappling with this idea of untrained eyes. You're around the church, you're around Christians, you're spending time with people, you're going through the kind of Christian motions, you know what I mean? Like prayer and maybe even Bible reading and maybe even like you're here on a Sunday and like maybe even you show up to a Lord's Supper gathering with your gospel community, but like it's been a while since you've like seen him. And I don't mean just like seen him, I mean like experientially seen him for who he really is. And the byproduct of that is you understanding who you really are as a child of God. If there's a disconnect here for you, come receive prayer. And then finally, this one just really stood out to me. I don't know, uh, this wasn't so much in her message at all, but I think that God is on about something here. I feel like he's highlighting this sense of like insecurity for some of us in the room. Like you're feeling insecure and the reason you're feeling insecure is because you're not, you're not walking in the utilization of your spiritual gifts. And you see other people or you are wrestling with it yourself and, and God's inviting you to like grow and strengthen those muscles. And you're busy. There's a lot of things going on. Your kids have this and you have that. And there's all these things that are just jockeying for your time. And all the while, God's like, I've sown a seed in you. And that seed is not to just stop with you. It's actually to grow in you and then produce fruit for other people. And for whatever reason, there's all these excuses and all of them are, you know, they're, they're valid to a certain degree. But you're not, you're not bearing the fruit that God's created you to bear. You're not operating in your spiritual gifts. And for some of you, I feel like it's not just that you're not like you are, but there's another phase. There's another like, there's another season of development. God wants to, to develop you even more in gifts that are right now uncomfortable for you. If any of that describes you, I'm convinced your heavenly father is seeking after your heart. Let us not be people who just honor God with our lips, with our words, while our hearts are far from him. That's literally the definition of the pharisaical spirit. Let's be people who yield to the authority of Jesus because only good can come from it. And we can experience him in his transforming love and grace. If any of that describes you, Come receive prayer. Two types of people, priests in this room right now, offering praises to the Lord, gratitude, thanksgiving. The band's gonna lead us in that. And then patience. One of those four types of people where God wants to, he wants to meet with you. Hey, lay down on the table. Let me, let me, let me, let me, let me do some work on you. Let me do some heart surgery, okay? We got about, I don't know, 15 or so minutes. Let's respond together, shall we? Let's enjoy Jesus. Let's take him up on his offer of grace and forgiveness. He has the authority to pour it out.